This is Jack Carr, bringing you 11 special episodes of the Terminal List podcast, The Danger Close, to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the Prime video series. Last year, I sat down with showrunner David DiGilio and my friend, SEAL teammate, producer, and actor Jared Shaw to break down each episode and bring you behind-the-scenes information from the Amazon Prime video adaptation of my first novel. This series features eight episode recaps and breakdowns, two listener question episodes, and a conversation with Chris Pratt. Enjoy. Over 60 men were killed in the worst special operations disaster in modern Residents history. Residents of Coronado, California, were shocked by the brutal murder of Lauren Reese and her three-year-old daughter. SEAL Lieutenant Commander James Reese survived the ambush, but is under investigation. Welcome to the Terminal List Podcast, an Ironclad original series presented by Kansas City Cattle Company. I'm Jack Carr, author of The Terminal List. On each episode, we break down a different episode of the Amazon Prime video series starring Chris Pratt. And on today's show, we're talking about the very first episode, the N-Gram. Yeah. And I am joined by showrunner David DeGilio and, oh, man, Jared Shaw, the man who is responsible for all of this, because back in 2017, before the book had even hit shelves, he handed a copy to Chris Pratt, and that kicked off all of this. Former Navy SEAL, actor on the show, technical advisor on the show, producer on the show, and the three of us right here together. I am so fired up. Thank you guys for doing this. Uh, We've had such a great time together over the past few years. I mean, I can't even imagine doing this with anybody else. Um, I mean, it would have been impossible without uh, Jared giving it to Chris. And then of all the people that they could interview and could end up doing this show, David, you do this show. And I mean, from day one, from our first phone call in December of 2019, I mean, it was off to the races. And there's, uh, I don't think there's been a day since then that we haven't talked or texted. And it's been such a joy and such a pleasure to work with you through this. Uh, I mean, I can't can't sing both of your guys' praises enough. And I'm so excited about uh, what we created together. So thank you guys for for making this happen. Thank you, Jack. Uh-huh. It's been incredible, man. Thank you for welcoming me into the brotherhood. You too, Jared. Um, it's been, I think, a remarkable journey, both creatively, but just in terms of the bonds that were built making this show. Uh, it's been remarkable, I think, to see uh, everybody, you know, uh, civilian, military veteran, combat veteran alike, stepping up because they're so passionate yeah about this world about this character that you created so thank you you know i've said it to you before but i want to say it here thank you you truly are the the godfather of this project um you you uh texted me long ago when we were working on the pilot long live the brotherhood and explained what that meant and uh and we lived that as our ethos making this show Man, it has been wild. And uh, man, you know, we should kick this off with, you know, how this came, how this came to be, how the three of us got, got linked up because eventually we added Max Adams, former army ranger writer uh, who was there every day on set. We added Raymond Doza of war office productions, seal buddy of ours who does technical advising in Hollywood also there every day to make sure we remained grounded in reality. But before we got to that, actually, before David and I linked up in December of 2019 to start hashing this whole thing out, uh, Jared gave the book 
to Chris. And, uh, and I'd always wanted to write since I was a little kid, got this book going as I was leaving the military, got it to Simon and Schuster. They loved it, got a publishing deal. And before it even came out. So in November, November of 2017, we reconnect and you let me know that, uh, Hey, you'd like to give a copy of this book to a friend of yours. And, uh, I asked you who that was and you said, Chris Pratt which is crazy because as I'm writing this thing, I'm thinking of Chris Pratt playing the role. <laughs> exact guy right there. Yeah, yeah, and guy. I'm thinking of He's Antoine Fuqua yeah. directing. Um, yep. So you told me that, I mean, that just blew me away. I mean, how insane is that for me to sit down in the days before Jurassic World, the days before Guardians of the Galaxy and the Avengers, when he is Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec, and he has a very small role in Zero Dark Thirty, as a seal. And I saw that transformation and I said, Chris Pratt is the guy to bring James Reese to life. Of course, I have no idea that you know him. I have no connections at this point in publishing or in Hollywood. I'm just sitting down, picking my director, picking my actor, picking my publisher, uh, and giving, that's about all the thought that I gave that. And then everything else went into the story. It never occurred to me that Chris Pratt might not play this role or that Antoine Fuqua might not direct it or that Simon and Schuster and Emily Bessler might not be my editor and publisher. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's what's happened. So, um, how did that, from your perspective, when you, uh, when you found out about the book and our friend David Bowles, uh, reconnected us, uh, about five years after we'd last, uh, met, uh, in the SEAL teams. Um, how did that, what was that experience like for you from that, uh, from your perspective? Yeah. Well, you just briefly touched on it about when you and I met in the, the SEAL teams five, six years earlier, which was 2012, 2013 timeframe <clears throat> when I was getting ready to transition out of the military and it, uh, you know, in that time frame, transitioning out of the SEAL teams, that's a big deal. You know, that's, it's a whole new world out there and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, what your next step is, kind of what that looks like when your whole adult life, you've lived this life. I've lived this life as a SEAL. You lived the life as a SEAL, you know, so I'm getting ready to get out 30 year old guy that doesn't have a very solid plan. <clears throat> and you and my paths had crossed a little bit. I, I worked under you as a buds instructor but we you were you were way higher up so we never had a whole lot of time to sit and talk and really get to know each other you know and and i was about a month or two away from getting out of the military and there i'm walking down heading to the next you know evolution or whatever i was instructing at that point and you saw me and you said hey you're shaw yes sir you know, usually when somebody addressed me like that, I'm like, oh, this is not good. And you're like, <laughs> well, you, you have some like, experience on that stuff from that side of the yeah, house. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm That's a whole nother totally podcast, though. Totally yeah, other podcast. Po another, another deal. We don't have time for no. that right now. No, yeah, we so, sure don't. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, you said, man, I, I hear you're transitioning out. You're getting out. I said, yes, sir. And you said, well, do you have a plan? Do you know what you want to do? And I had a general idea. You know, I wanted to go back to Texas and teach weapon safety and, and teach people, you know, kind of the fundamentals of, of weapons handling and shooting and all that. And um, he said, well, you know what, come, come here, come in my office, sit down. I want to talk to you about it. So you took time out of your day to sit down, talk to me, mentor me, go over options with me that then led to you connecting me with friends of yours on the outside world that were in Texas, right, right next to where I was from. And you made all those connections, you know, for me when we didn't hardly know each other, you know, and getting out, I didn't have anybody that really set me down and mentored me like that and took time to kind of take me under, under their wing and say, Hey, let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this, you know? And so ended up getting out 
you know, transition, going back to Texas, that whole deal. And that's when five, six, four or five years later, David Bowles reaches out to me. And just like you touched on, he said, hey, do you remember this fella here, Jack? And had to think about it a bit. I'm like, oh, you know what? I do remember him, you know? And he said, well, he read a book. I think you need to read it. And it's kind of that whole deal of like, ah, I mean, a military. <laughs> Another guy, SEAL you know? wrote a book. Uh-huh. <laughs> Another SEAL. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. You know, I said, but, and I told, I told David or Debo, as we call him, I said, Debo, that man went out of his way for me when he had no reason to do it. No, no, no skin in the game, nothing. And he took care of me. Absolutely. Sent it my way, you know? And then it was at that point, I'm like, yeah, I'll read it. Yeah, sure. And I read it and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like we're, we are mm-hmm. on to something here. And that's when I got a hold of you. I'm like, Hey, do you mind if I, if I let my buddy read it? And then, I don't mind. you being uh, great friends with Chris uh, was certainly convenient um, especially for me since I envisioned him playing playing this part but interestingly enough you know in the the SEAL teams uh, your uh, your reputation is your currency uh, in life as well and if you see to your character then your reputation take care of itself so um, so I knew you by reputation which means I knew your character and uh, you know you always want to help good guys whether they're staying in the military or or getting out and uh, man you got out and and crushed it and then here we are today and you gave it to chris and he loved it he read it at the end of december uh 2017 and you have a great picture of him reading it for the first time that uh uh, i think you took surreptitiously i might post it anyway one of these days but uh you guys are (laughs) going to a premiere somewhere overseas and you snap this picture and uh sent it to me and then he called the next uh the next week wanting to option it and then at the same time my friend who uh wrote no easy day uh, mark owen he gave the book to antoine and Antoine read it and they both wanted it. So now I have my exact actor and my exact director that I wanted, uh, both wanting to do this. And even after that happened, uh, and David, you probably know this better than anybody, uh, books get optioned all the time. And a lot of times yeah. they just go on the shelf and my agent and publisher have seen this hundreds of times hundreds. and they're kind of like, Thousands. Oh, okay. Kind of like yep. that's, that's nice. You know? Yep. And I never once questioned whether we would be here today uh talking about this whether we would have just gone to the premiere that we did last week that was never even a question in my mind this was happening Um, but to those who have seen this so often and seen things derail so often and things see things get optioned and go on shelves so many times they're kind of like eh, never once did i question that we would be here right now um so Chris options it, and eventually we get to this stage where, hey, it's time to pick a showrunner for this thing. And uh, how did they find you, Dave? How did they uh, reach out to you in the world of showrunners? And for those who don't know what a showrunner is, uh, I think a best way to describe it, and please correct me, is uh, in a feature film, you have the director that's kind of the strategic level guy that's like juggling everything and making everything yeah. happen. In a series, you have multiple directors, so you have a showrunner who now yeah. has to deal with multiple directors, uh, writers' rooms, like all these things things that are that are happening essentially yeah. the singular point of contact for everything which is a lot of weight and uh actually jared and i talked about this the other day about how many times i we would be discussing something and it would be like oh man i can't believe we have to change this or somebody wants to change this or whatever and like right away jared and i are like and you were so calm, cool, and collected at every Always. stage with such a positive attitude that I would immediately forget yeah. what had made me angry for two seconds. And I'd be like, 
look at this guy. He has the weight of the world on his shoulders of this crazy production. And he's like, hmm, just thinking about it, but smile on the face and, but then, but serious at the same time. And like comes up with something so logical and so rooted in the foundation of both the novel and in what we'd created, uh, for the series, like incredible. Like, I don't know where you got that disposition. If you've always had it or you, you've learned it over time in other productions, but how did, uh, how did they find you? So I came to this uh, in what's called an open writing assignment, an OWA. So I was coming off my last show. I was very curious to jump right back into the showrunner chair. And um, and it was a little different on the last show. I was running a show for another writer. And in this show, I, I knew I was going to um, showrun and be the head writer, uh, collaborating with you, Jack, every step of the way. So first off, you know, I read the book and I get fired up by everything on the page. For me, it's the the look inside, and we've talked about this, the warrior class. That's never, like, the deep dive that you do because you haven't just lived it, you've studied it. You're a student of history, and that's something that, that really separates you, I think, from a lot of other authors. And then the authenticity on the page and this commitment to, like, bring that authenticity to the screen um, in a way that we've never seen before. Those two things really jumped out off the page and I was pumped. But then, you know, you guys just mentioned this and it's interesting because you lived in this world where reputation is currency. And I'm somebody who comes from a background uh, of selflessness and really teamwork. Um, I was an athlete my, my whole life. And the notion of team is everything. And I think for me, the thing that got me really fired up were those initial conversations, you know, talking with Chris, he comes out of that athletic background as well. Antoine, same thing. And then you, Jared, Ray, like the notion, even the fact that they call them the SEAL teams, right? Like that really resonates with a guy who loves the, the creative endeavor, but is often frustrated by the selfish culture. So I was like, oh, here we go. We can do something incredible. We can actually collaborate and build something, something that is like utterly unique and put that on screen. And I think that was, you know, ultimately what, what got me the job is like, you know, one, I had a, a, a take on the book that, that I think is a lot of fun in terms of like leaning into the psychological thriller element mm -hmm. of the character. You had, you know, something going on in Reese's mind. Well, what if we don't know what it is right away? And we kind of lean into that unreliable narrator for a little bit. Yeah. But then I think the other thing is just the, the, the notion of really valuing collaboration. You know, I bring that into every project and, um, and you got to, I mean, it's a crazy business and, and the showrunner job is hundred hour weeks for many, many months. Yeah. Years. And, um, I mean, years. it's been years. Yeah. Since that initial yeah, conversation yeah, and we've talked every day, years. were you yeah. nervous the first time that we talked? Were you like, Oh geez, another author. He's going to like stick to the story. It can't change. I, never, You're ruining I, my vision. Were you thinking I, that during that first call? Like the first few seconds, I can't remember if I told you this, but like, honestly, I've never had that call. Yeah. Like that call, like it was amazing. So I was like, Oh man, like, I don't know what is going to happen here. You know, like I wasn't sure. And then to, to meet you over the phone, and realize that you're so, uh, so much like me in terms of how we view um, creativity and collaboration. And immediately I realized, oh, this is gonna be incredible. Oh, so cool. This is gonna be amazing. 
you know, because we're going to be able to adapt with the author overseeing us every step of the way in a true collaboration. And I was doing, I can't remember what interview it was, but they were talking about like the key to adaptation. And I was like, uh, it's, it's honor and surprise. Mm. Those two things, you have to honor what makes the source material so unique and then figure out a way to surprise the audience when they see it adapted to the screen. Yeah, because now you're telling a story visually, totally different yes. medium. Um, so things are going to change. You got to walk, walk in with that. And when you brought the psychological element, I was like, yes, that's yeah. it. That's it. That's what breaks this apart visually <sighs> from everything else. And then I think you talk to Antoine and you're like, this is Antoine Fuqua meets Alfred Hitchcock. You know, and it sure is some of those camera angles and those first, you know, and those things, especially in the first episode. um, I mean, that's it. If you watch it with that, if people listen to this and then go back and watch that first episode, thinking about Antoine meeting Hitchcock and and then they watch it with that lens, like it's a different, it's a different deal. And and then you're like, oh yes, that's it. Uh, Cause it is so different and it does break it out. He, he puts you in Reese's head. Yeah. Right. He calls it visual literacy, you know, we can put it on the page, but then that director has to translate it into this rectangle. Yeah. And everything in that rectangle, the composition, the light, everything is a choice that Antoine is making. And then we have to pass that knowledge on to each director who comes after him. Yeah. And oh man, like just that shot of Reese when he's talking to Pillar and Howard at Warcom. Mm-hmm. And we just like sit on the back of his head with that slow push, it's so unsettling, Yeah, right? It's just so unsettling. And that notion of just kind of like suspense, yeah, right? It's not all action with Antoine, suspense. Like what is coming around the corner? You have that feeling down in the tunnels and then he carries it throughout the entire first episode. And we try to then carry it throughout the season. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And Jared, you in those tunnels, man, I, I have a couple of cool pictures just on my iPhone from being in those tunnels and you're like silhouetted and your weapon is right there. And you know, the lights are outside and you're going in to do another, going out to come back in and then do another take. And I have some really cool, uh, cool photos that I, I'm going to share at some point. Cause they're just, they're just awesome. But, um, people have just probably watched this episode and they, uh, they know that you are boozer and, uh, the way you play this character is so Awesome. I mean, yelling at Chris in those tunnels, yelling at Reese as he's down, knocked out, telling him to get back in the fight. I mean, so, so powerful. Before, before I get to that, creating this episode, like that was, that was, it was a quick turnaround. And I only know that because you told me that. Um, And from like getting that go ahead to, Hey, we need a pilot because we need to walk this thing around because of scheduling and everything else. And we need to sell this thing with a showrunner, a star, a director, and a pilot episode. So yes. for those that think uh, of screenwriting, you just kind of write some dialogue and then describe something and say, this guy takes this action. Wow, it is an incredible art form. And uh, I was so fortunate that you mentored me along and taught me as we were going. I learned so much over these last couple of years, but in particular, that first episode, because it's the first time I'm really seeing a script and you're creating it out of nothing. And, uh, and that was fascinating. I learned so much, but you took that script. So we got that thing, you wrote it, I'm learning learning, giving a little advice here and there. And then you take that with Chris and Antoine and you guys walk it around, gets into some bidding war, ends up Amazon prime video. And perfect. then we look at these and which is a perfect home for it. Uh, and, uh, and then next steps. Okay. What happens next? Oh, 
a writer's room. Let's get this thing together. Okay. Eight episodes. Wait, wait, hold on. There was a small thing that happened in between COVID the world shut down. (laughs) (laughs) There is that. We, we, I mean, people don't know this, but like we sold this in a bidding war the week before the world shut down. Amazing. And so this was one of the first major shows built entirely in a zoom room where the writers were all in these little boxes. There's still writers uh, on this show who I have not met in person. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. The premiere was the first time I'd met uh, multiple writers from this show. And so, man, what a fascinating time to be building a show, you know, 2020. Right. Utter madness. Right. Right. And, and I think in a great way, it kind of fueled the work, right? Because the, and, and I, I want to make sure people know we didn't start from nothing. I think you said start from no, no, well, no, no, no. We, I mean, we had, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a book that now, that now book. has this guy on the cover. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. This, this is my copy with oh, all my nice. That's an original. Too. That's a one's oh, the Trident yeah. on it still. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, but, but no, man, we, it was awesome that, you know, sometimes chaos just fuels you yeah. creatively. And, um, and you have this incredible character who's dealing with so much chaos, right? And 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 then that sets him down his path. And wow, every day, uh, I think we were texting and talking about yeah. the discoveries that were made. Like, hey, oh, 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 you boozer, that death. That's the midpoint of the episode. Reese has come back. He thinks he's just starting to click in to life back home and then boom, man. Right. Yeah. And, um, and we just built that kind of structure out for episode one where we knew there would be three moments of loss for this character so that each time he thinks he's starting to grasp what's going on, we just turn the dial a little more and tighten the screws a little more. Yeah. You get to the end and man, you know, we were over in um, Europe and, and, and uh, for the European premiere and uh, a a great actor walked up to Antoine and was like, I just got to tell you the last 15 minutes of that pilot, like, I don't care if it's film or TV. Holy. Can we curse on this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Holy shit. Like, those last 15 minutes are off the hook Yeah, and what he does with the camera and what our stunt team did, what everybody, you know, built into those last 15 minutes. It's crazy, but not even those last 15 minutes, those first 15 minutes. Cause I remember when you, yeah. yeah, How we start this thing out and how, when you texted me, you're like, Hey, what, what do you think about Syria? And you know, at the time I was like, yeah, yeah, we can change it to Syria and some tunnels. Yeah. Now, I'm like genius. I mean, we're not in Afghanistan anymore, so already we would have dated. I think it. you called you called that though. I think we had a conversation. I feel like you were like, "Yeah, we could be out by then." Well, I think I was like, something had just happened. I think it was one of the yeah. raid, Delta Force raids uh, yeah. in Syria, and it was in the news. That, like yeah. that, that kind of fueled as well. Yep. And we're like, oh, tunnels, different. And also, we're thinking ahead to those other episodes. Like, okay, we're going to have different action battle type sequences. Yes. How do we differentiate each one of these? And then yes. tunnels. Ooh, and then 
why don't we just flood these tunnels? Like, you know, have it come up to me and, you know, and then you're starting this creative process, um, which was so cool. And yeah, looking back now, I mean, thank goodness it wasn't a mountain in Afghanistan because we'd already have dated ourselves. Um, yes. and that was, you know, I mean, just, that was an incredible foresight on, uh, on your part, but, well, uh, well then, and yeah. then Jared and, and Ray and Garrett, I mean, what you guys said with that opening, yeah. So how do we get there? How do we get from yeah. this page, this pilot yes. sold to Amazon, COVID hits, writer's room together. We have these scripts now. Now Jared's off other projects and focusing more on this as Chris is getting more prepared for this. We have a calendar date ready to go. Like, okay, March of 2021, we're going to start filming this thing. Uh, Jared's now looking through all the scripts going, uh, no, no. And it is so great to have somebody looking at it red selling and because yes. you and i can be sitting here and thinking our plan is terrific and then yeah. somebody comes in from the outside for like a half a second and is like uh no that that doesn't make any sense right there that like, won't oh, happen son of a god how did we not see that that's why that's why having people come in in the military and red sell your plan from the outside is such an important part of the, the planning process massive but uh jared when you saw that so you get the you get this script at some point um obviously prior to March of, of 2021, but uh, you start looking at, at these things and making such a huge contribution to the script even before we get on set. And then once we get on set, I mean, what you do and what Ray does and Max does in collaboration with David, and like, it's just, it's an incredible team. Um, but when you see these scripts, like what are you, uh, what are you thinking and what are you, uh, and do you have the part of Boozer yet? Or you're just like looking at these scripts oh. really essentially as a, as a, as my buddy and Chris's buddy, like, how are you, yeah. uh, how, what, what does this look like for you? Yeah, exactly. Um, I knew at some point I was going to try to audition for something. I wasn't sure, but I knew there was something, something I wanted to go after. And just that audition, if I was not the right person for the job, then project came first, you know, without question. <clears throat> and so to answer your question, I started really seeing the scripts uh, in January of that year um, when I was with, with Chris in Australia. So Chris and I are lo locked in a hotel room that we cannot leave. Like three weeks, right? Three, two, yeah. two, two, two weeks, weeks of quarantine. quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. Fly there. He has two weeks of actual work there, but we have to front load it with two weeks of quarantine because we're not allowed to. Uh, and literally you can't walk out your door. They have guards on each floor. You're in there for two <sighs> Amazing. weeks. And, and it, it really was a blessing in disguise. Cause then we, you know, Chris, who has a crazy schedule, as we all know, was pinned down. He couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. He couldn't go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, wow. that's really when, all of us were able to start collaborating. You guys had done so much heavy lifting already, yep. you know, and then Chris and I were, were, you know, secluded, not able to go anywhere, started looking at it. And that's when Jack, I was able to kind of start digging in and, and bringing a fresh set of eyes to it on the, on the tactical side, the storyline side. I mean, I, I, Dave, I trust you, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you've shown that from day one, I trust your, your eye, your knowledge, every bit of that, you know? So yeah. I was really coming in from kind of a tactical side and a little bit of the actorly brain, you know, yeah. like, okay, trying to, to mesh those two worlds. And so, yeah, I was able to bring in uh, some, some changes on that, that part. And it was really just an opportunity, Dave, that's the first time you and I ever spoke. Of I know, man. Yeah. It's crazy. So that, yeah, it really was. And so that was the moment that, uh, was able to jump in it and, and start making those, those little changes. And then we came back in early February and then we, we hit the ground running in March and it was yeah. game on. Man. Yeah. And, 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 you know, specifically Jack to that opening, that was like really one of the most interesting evolutions. I mean, I have just off camera here, 
like the little hand-drawn diagram of the tunnels that nice. I did with you, you know, I was like, okay, I think it's like this. And we just had, you know, we had like a little fork in a tunnel and like, then a cr- that was it. Right. And then I remember the day we all met up, uh, we were out in a parking lot, uh, down in South Bay of Los Angeles and, and stunts had, or, or production design had taped out this outline of the tunnels and Antoine's walking through that with you guys, uh, uh, Ray Mendoza, Garrett Golden, and and they start uh, talking the tactics side of it, right? In the real world space and marrying that with this notion that Antoine had that it's like each section of the tunnel is a chapter in this little mini novel and each one pulls you deeper into the sense of unease. And... Um, and man, I think it was from that that the heavy machine gunner behind the grate came came into play, right? And um, we we figured out exactly where that tripwire was going to be, how that was going to play, how Rex the dog uh, was going to play in this. All of that, man, it was so cool to kind of let you guys work. And then, by the way, another evolution happened once we built the set at Paramount in the tanks. And then I would just sit down with Jared and Ray with the script and we would just take all the new discoveries and just load it up, load it up into the script beat by beat by beat. And, um, and that's, that's what I'm talking about in terms of teamwork on this show, because, you know, we had made a huge premium right on authenticity, just building the scripts mm-hmm. was checking everything with you, Jack, checking everything with Max Adams constantly. Right. But even with that, when you get into the real world environment, mm-hmm. there are discoveries that are made. Oh yeah. And even beyond that, and probably something people don't know, Jared was with me in every visual effects review with me and Antoine making sure that like muzzle flashes looked real bullet hits looked real blood hits, all those things. So literally from conception to completion, making sure that we had the eyes of people who know on every frame. Yeah. I mean, situation terrain dictate, like you get out there, like we have a plan in the military and you know, we're out there and then all of a sudden, uh, things are a little different now. Enemy gets a vote. You hit an ID on the way in a car breaks down. A helicopter has a mechanical issue, you know, all those sorts of things. Same thing with a script looks so great right here. And then we get out there and you're on the terrain. You're like, Ooh, that mountain, yeah. that hill, that, oh, that doesn't quite fit with the story. Why wouldn't they just like walk over here and shoot them or whatever it is? Yeah. Um, and then you have to, you have to adapt just like you do in the Got military. To. And then as you get further along, you have these actors who bring different things to the roles that you didn't, couldn't anticipate with, uh, with just dust on the page here and they yes. bring something. And then now that affects episode two, three, four, five, six. Yes. So that part is, uh, is fascinating to me. But, uh, Jared, when did you get the role? When did you know you had Boozer? Um, it was, it was pretty, I mean, it wasn't that far from when we actually started. Yeah. Early on, it was, it it was still, uh, I auditioned when we were in Australia. Okay. So that, which a a funny thing that not very many people know is (laughs) Chris, uh, Chris will be good with me telling this. Chris 
did my hair for the audition nice. <laughs> because I wear a hat all the time. And if I don't, if I don't have a hat on, I have no idea what to do with my hair. I mean, <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm a, I'm a country that's boy a, from South Texas. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. So I did something with it and I walk out. I'm like, what do you think? And he kind of gives me the Chris nice look of like, uh, let me see. Come here. And he gets <laughs> hair gel and does this whole thing. Oh, I'm like, hilarious. all right. Yeah. And so oh, then he, man. He read opposite of me for the audition. Oh, that's awesome. Know? So we, yeah, we did it and and we ended up kind of ad-libbing some stuff and just having fun with it, you know? Oh, and, man. And yeah. So sent it in um, still when we were, when we were in Australia, you know, and, and like I said, I prefaced it with, I just want to, uh, if I'm the right person for the job, great. If not, it's not going to hurt my feelings. Like we yeah. got to do what's best, best for this project, you know? So it, thankfully it worked out and, to answer your question i believe dave i was still i was still there um in australia and we were having one of the zooms and we had department heads you know 20 30 people on this zoom and i remember dave coming on and we were talking a little bit about the casting and dave said hey uh unless anybody objects to this and like i said 20 30 people in the zoom call i think we're all good with with jared playing boozer he's got yep. the part you know nice. and i nice. remember that and i'm like yeah like that was one of those cool moments to hear the showrunner announce it you, you know in, in front of everybody was, that's cool was uh, well i take that back he said does anybody have objections to that and ray raises his hand <laughs> ray, like, ray, yeah. come on buddy come on ray. Yeah. that's yeah, fantastic like, that, that was that was the beginning of your many hyphens on the show <laughs> right like this man oh. has more hyphens on this show than anybody oh. it's truly remarkable from you know development executive producer actor casting director that was something that happened when you guys were down in australia you called and and with, with the idea about alpha platoon i think that's mm -hmm. worth pointing out oh um, yeah how many actual former seals and special operators are in alpha platoon yep yeah. that is a, a serious group of people right there and i remember jared texting me from australia saying you know why don't we just use seals and i'm like that's a genius idea why don't we just yes. do that yeah. but know. that and but that's dave speaks volumes about you and your leadership, you know, from, from the beginning. And I think everybody listening to this podcast, I hope they, they understand that Dave, like how you went to the mats to ensure that authenticity from, I mean, the very beginning of this to the very end, you know, I wouldn't have been in those sessions with you in post had you yeah. not set that up and pushed for that, you know, and for me, it was lessons, you know, learning and it was great. And, you know, under you and your mentorship, but ultimately like you pushed for that every single time. And Jack and I, the, the community that we come from, man, that's such a big deal, you know? And so that just, that's never, there's never lost on us. And, and I personally want to thank you for that, you know, for the effort that you always put into to ensure that we nailed that authenticity. Oh, thank, thank you. I mean, and, and that comes from you guys and your role on this show. Um, you know, I like to say, I know what I know, but I really know what I don't know. <laughs> and that's yeah. important as a storyteller. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was, and I noticed it with Antoine too, like, man, he has that same thing. He's so dialed in on all that stuff that a, a true, truly great director needs in terms of character, psychology, visual literacy, composition, all those things. And then he's the same way, right? When he, when it comes to tactics, when it comes to a question of wardrobe for one of the SEAL characters, he immediately looks to Garrett or one of you guys 
and says, those are the guys who are going to tell you. Yeah. And that is really essential. And I think, you know, this is something that was, you know, uh, foundational. Uh, it was in our pitch when we took it out. Uh, Chris introduced it with this, this notion that um, just like Jack, you brought this unparalleled authenticity to the page. We could do that on screen. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and as Chris calls it, it's a love letter to the special operations community because you take the time. Yeah. Right. And we live in an era of authenticity. Yeah. It is an era of authenticity. It is awesome to see what's happening with TV, incredible shows out there, but there's not that many military shows, right? Outside, outside of our buddies over at SEAL Team, there's not a lot mm-hmm. going on, right? So this was a big way and a huge platform yeah. to say to people like, the authenticity component for the military is, is one of the best ways to honor their service because it shows that people care and value. And this, you know, I, I also got to give a huge hat tip to Amazon and MRC because it's expensive, right? To get it right. We've seen this. We've yeah. done stuff, you know, that we shot. And then in visual effects, we fixed it because we needed to get it right. Yeah. And so, you know, we've said this before. We'll we'll get busted. There will be some Hollywood hot sauce in there, yeah. as, as Chris says. Yeah. yeah, it will happen. But it's not for lack of trying. Exactly. To make it as authentic as possible. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I talk about hey, if you wanted, to, you know, you have to see with you. We could have a black screen for the first thirty minutes of this show, yeah. and maybe just hear some dialogue. But if you yeah. want to see what the actors are doing, there's going to be some light in there. Right. You know, there's things like that. You know, there's like yeah. hey, you know, you gotta. There's there's some things just like that. But uh, yeah. man, and uh, in those tunnels, so Jared, I mean, you guys, when I showed up on set, it was like a seal reunion. And, uh, you know, we got Kenny Sheard there. We got Ryan Sangster there. We got this whole crew of SEALs. Garrett's there. And we're like, dude, what's up? What's happening? The COVID police are losing their minds because we're like oh, hugging yeah. it out, you know, and all that stuff. That was a danger zone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and so, and then you guys, man, it was so cool to be there and so cool to see how close to a military operation this was uh, in that you have like Antoine, he's like the commanding officer setting yeah. that tone strategically. You have number one on the call sheet, Chris, who's setting that tone tactically for the production. Uh, you have craft food services. You got to feed the troops. Uh, you have the armorer right there, just like in a SEAL platoon, checking the weapons in and out, inventorying them. You have your explosives guy, because in this first episode, we have a big explosion in tunnels and these stuntmen getting pulled on these wires that really do smash them into the walls. Ooh. I could not believe what these guys had to endure for that. Like people think, oh, it's all green screens and, you know, it's pads everywhere. These guys get crushed. It's incredible. Uh, so we have that. You have a mobility guy getting the vehicles in the right spots, just like we would in a SEAL platoon. You have a, a, a mobility guy. Make sure the vehicles are all gassed up. They're ready to rock. You have the routes to and from the target, all those all those things. Um, so there's so many different uh, positions that are so similar to a military organization and a military operation. So that really stood out. And then you are geared up. Jared, just like you would be in real life and off you guys go into the target and I'm watching it on the screen, almost like I'm back in the tactical operations center, you know, watching it, allocating assets. And it's almost, it's like you're watching it just like we would if I was watching something in Iraq where I have multiple elements out there kind of at the the end of my time in uniform um, and uh, allocating assets to those different 
different units that are out there with different missions on any particular night. But to see you guys go in there and crush it was just incredible. What was it like to be there in the tunnels? You're working with your best friend, Chris. He's like, you know, in this position where he's shot or not shot, but he's like been blown out, smashed into the wall. You're trying to wake him up. You don't know his condition, telling him to get back in the fight. And that's so powerful. And we go back to that time and time again in other episodes showing that because it is so powerful. Um, What was that like to gear up and go in and be with SEALs? Like we could have done an actual operation, that group that we had there. Like we could have actually been like, oh, there's something happening a few blocks down. Let's go take care of this thing. Um, (laughs) And uh, and you guys went in and crushed. What was it like to to be in those tunnels with SEALs on your right and left with your best buddy there and making this thing happen? Yeah. You you know, it's kind of like when, when we're really overseas and we're inserting, you know, where we're coming in, uh, you know, via Hilo or Humvee, you know, however we did it, we always, we always kind of joked, laughed at whatever until we were getting ready to step foot on the target, you know, and that was the same thing in these tunnels. You have all these combat seasoned dudes that had been there, done it. Some we'd actually worked together overseas, had those experiences, you know, we're laughing and we're joking until you call action. And then it's like, boom, you lock it on and you oh. go and you, you, you know, the, the only difference is you're not really getting shot back at, you know? Yeah, and so, yeah. in a in a way it's almost therapeutic, you know, to yeah. go through that and, and, and live those experiences in front of the camera. You, you have that camaraderie, you have it all, you know, all the feels are there, all the instincts are there, you know, you're still clearing a corner and you still feel that, that like, Oh dude, like I'm about to, I'm about to take this corner, you know, mm-hmm. and, but it's, it's so there, there, there's not acting involved with that. It's just being, it's just relying on your training and what we know, yeah. you know, and then, then when we go to the, the part with Chris, you know, when he's, it, when we just got blown up, you know, and, and, I was up in the tunnel, boom, come down. And, you know, for that scene, I'm going to get Chris. And there's, there was not a whole lot of preparation I had to do to get myself in that mindset. You know, I simply saw a buddy of mine laying on the ground, you know, or, or in the water in this case, you know, and, and so it's just kind of there, it's kind of there. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's in a way, I hate using the word easy, but it's available to tap into, mm. you know, to where it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm acting right now. Like I'm getting my buddy, like, no, I'm getting my buddy and I yeah. got to get him out of here, you know? And I could see the same with the other seals, you know, that were Justin Garza and AJ who were in there with us, you know, in the tunnels at that time, after the explosion, I could see it with them. Like, like we all kind of had the same look and feel yeah. and it, it was really cool. And then once, then you look at Chris and, what a stud, like what a stud, what he brings to, to the, the table acting wise, not just in that scene, but all the scenes is unreal, you know, for him to step in that for the world to see kind of the range of what he's going to be, you know, to show his range on this project is really cool, which is amazing that you saw it years ago when you wanted him to, to be the lead, you wanted him to be James Reese, you know, but to see that and then act alongside, you know, be opposite him, you know, bar scene as well just to have those moments man yeah. it's like this is this is powerful stuff i can't speak enough good about how well he did 
becoming that. Yeah, no, he really embodied it throughout the whole, throughout the whole season, which was so, I mean, it's so magical. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has heart, you know, that's that one intangible that we look at when I look at something, art, whether it's a book or a television series or a film or a painting or whatever it might be, it's this intangible thing that's called heart. The Terminal List podcast is presented by Kansas City Cattle Company. Kansas City Cattle Company believes in keeping things authentic and they believe if you taste the product, you'll taste the difference. Kansas City Cattle Company is veteran owned and operated and delivers Wagyu beef and other high quality proteins with a palatable difference to all 50 states. They have Brookshire pork, pasture raised chicken sourced from another veteran owned company and sustainably caught seafood. They're also known for their world famous Wagyu hot dog, which was featured by foodandwine.com in a viral article saying they had found a hot dog that tasted like steak. Other bestsellers are their Wagyu steaks, briskets, and tri-tip roasts. There's also been buzz about their Wagyu bacon cheeseburger brats. Other favorites include Wagyu hanger steak, Wagyu bone-in ribeye, and their Wagyu chuck eye steaks. The team started Kansas City Cattle Company to bridge the gap in high-quality proteins and top-notch animal husbandry practices to the end consumer. They believe good protein starts with good conditions for the animals. As the company grew, they hired their first employee, a veteran, just getting out of the army. From there, their new mission to hire an all-veteran staff was born. Today, their mission now includes serving high-quality protein to those they once served and helping other veterans find their new mission post-service. Save 15% on the exclusive terminal list collection at kccattlecompany.com slash jackcar with code jackcar15. That is J-A-C-K-C-A-R-R-15. That's K-C Cattle Company, K-C-C-A-T-T-L-E-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.com slash jackcar, J-A-C-K-C-A-R-R. And use that code jackcar15. And, uh, and that's the, that's the magic of it. But people might not be too surprised to learn that the military was not overly enthused, uh, about helping us with this project. Um, we had the, uh, <laughs> God bless the Marine Corps who wanted to jump in oh, on it man. at the very, at the, at the beginning, we were, we were close. close. And then, uh, close. then the big Navy saw, th- said, Hey, uh, wait a sec, our yep. men's department over here in the, in the yep. Marine Corps, uh, want to, want to help out on this project. And they, these guys want to blow up an admiral in his office. I don't think so. Never. So, uh, you know, but I like that better. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've, uh, I think about the Kane mutiny, Humphrey Bogart back in the day, yeah. not the Herman woke novel, of course. Um, and how the military came in and they made all these different stipulations of what you could and you could not do to show the military in a yeah. good light. Cause obviously the Kane mutiny, brilliant book, brilliant film. Um, they, they do not show, uh, Navy leadership in, uh, in, in, in the greatest light. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so they were not enthused to help on this, but I love it because it plays in to themes in the novels that you are yeah. personally experience being, you know, on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan at the tactical level and uh, having strategic level decision makers uh, really not understand the nature of the conflict in which we're engaged. Um, So it really played in. So as soon as I heard that the military did not want to help with this, I was like, good. Let's it's, on, it's back. It's on us. Let's do this. You know, oh, get the team together and let's crush it. Uh, maybe season two. Maybe season season two. They might uh, might want to help out a little bit. Hey, give give yeah. us an aircraft carrier, an Osprey, yeah. or something something cool so. like that to play with. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I if like they, that idea. Yeah, we'll see if they come to their come to their senses. Uh, but uh, so people shouldn't be surprised uh, to hear that. So all this we had to do on our own. So when people see that the helicopters and uh, you know the the miniguns going and all that stuff, the the military was uh, was did not help with that. 
Um, I did not. <laughs> yeah. P- production design, mm-hmm. uh, transpo department, and the vehicle, uh, vehicles that they were able to get in. Um, man, visual effects, all yeah. those things, right? Come yeah, into yeah. play. Incredible. Wardrobe department, what those guys did, unreal. Um, Everybody crushed it at every single level, man. I cannot yep. be more, more thrilled. And what people also don't know is probably that, um, Hey, there are these, there, we filmed a lot and now it's, you know, this first episode is, is it a little over an hour? I forget exactly what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it is. like, I think it clocks in at like 65 minutes with credits. Remember that first one I saw. The, so the director's cut was almost two hours. <laughs> it was so one. long. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember watching it for the first time and it's my first time, you know, in this, this space and seeing it, I'm like, nothing can be cut. This is amazing. This is awesome. (laughs) We cannot lose one second of this. You know, Antoine is a genius and we cannot mess with his creation. This is perfect. And then they're like, no, you got to make this thing an hour. Uh, I went, nope, yeah. sorry. Nope. I think, I think they said 55 minutes. Yeah. I think we that got was closer, you know, you know a negotiation. And, and, yeah, in we there. ended up, we, we, we found a, a, a way to, you know, split yeah. the difference and just, and land that plane. But really it's exactly what, what, what you brought up, which is you got to protect the director's vision. It's a big part of the showrunner's job. It, it's, it's your vision as well. But like when, again, visual literacy, that is the director's medium. Yeah. And, um, and so we had to really shape it down mm-hmm. while protecting Antoine's vision. And he's with us every step of the way as we do that, to be clear, mm-hmm. like it's a down to the frame with him mm-hmm. and this notion of like every frame tells a story. And that is what's so incredible about working with a director like that or David Fincher, those guys who just are beautiful visual storytellers. Yeah. Um, It's, it's remarkable, but it is, it's, it's a process, right? You know, we write it, build it, you know, the kind of foundation, the blueprint. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's the movie that we wrote. And then there's the movie that you shot. Mm. And then there's the movie that you edit. Interesting. Yeah. I heard you say that before. It, it evolves. You, you, you do it three times. Yeah. Right? In animation, they do it a lot more than that, but in, in, in live action, that's the way it works. Interesting. And um, man, this pilot, I, I think, you know, we spoke about Chris, um, you know, on the tactical side, on the leadership side, but the performance, man. Oh, Dude. incredible. And I think that first scene uh, in the tunnels was almost twice as long. I think. Yeah. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'd love to watch that yeah. director's cut again. And then immediately after oh, I mean, watch ours. And I think yeah. I'd be like, Oh, now I get it. Like now, now I, I see, it. now yeah. I see. Um, yeah. because then we move and you see Chris and he's in this interrogation room, which really came right from out of the personal book. experience <laughs> and right out of the book. Right. I mean, that's yeah. one that we took. I was like, Oh, I love this scene, Jack. We just want to go up, 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 up and oh. just lifted it, put it right in. That comes from a real place. Those feelings come from a real place, uh, you know, yep. being across the desk from NCIS, uh, NCIS guys, NCIS yep. people might not want to watch this series. Well, watch it anyway, <laughs> watch it anyway. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that came from a real, you know, real place. And you see Chris in there and the confusion and the, the Hitchcock type of, a uh, type of camera movements yes. on his face and the eye movements. And it's just, it is just fantastic. Even the trailer captures it, you know, it's yes, just, uh, it it's so powerful, so amazing. And then we have this, inc- just this 
beautiful scene with Jared and Chris sitting at the bar. Of course, after Chris is told no alcohol, which I love. I think, I mean, just things like that. I just love. And then next scene, it's like pouring the Hoot and Young, which you have, I know, right in your office there, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. There it is. Uh, Delta Force guys, you know, Delta Force guys right there. Veterans started that, uh, that company. And, and, uh, and then there they are and they're having this conversation. And that scene was maybe three times as long. Um, yeah. than it is in, in that final cut that people are, are watching now. And each yep. one of those conversations or as it flows between Jared and Chris Boozer and Reese right there talking together, every single one of those words is like what we would really say in real life to one another. And it's yeah. so cute, cool and so pure. And, uh, Jared, you are so awesome in that scene. I love it. So awesome, and, uh, and, you know, maybe there's a director's cut someday where people can go the, the deleted scenes or something and see yeah. that whole conversation between you guys, um, yeah. because it's fantastic. And then it whittles down to the essential elements that people are seeing in, uh, in this cut today. That's, uh, that's on Amazon prime. Uh, and then, the Katie introduction, but that scene yeah. with you guys at the bar, what was it like to sit down with, uh, with Chris and, and, and do that? And was it, was every single thing that you guys talked about in that longer version director's cut, uh, was that all on the written page or did you guys ad lib at all? No, nah, we did. De- we definitely ad libbed, you know, and, and that's once again, where, I, where I was impressed with Chris and being able to tap in that. I mean, we all know he's a great actor, but that's a world Jack that we know very well. Yeah. Bar. Yeah. Drinking at a bar, drinking at a bar, but not just drinking at a bar, but toasting our buddies that we lost, you know, and whether we were there with them or, you you know, we get that phone call when we find out. And so we, we know that work. I get goosebumps just thinking about it right now, you know? And so sitting there with Chris, you know, Chris has been with me when I've gotten that call before, you know, in real world, got that call, you know? And so to sit there next to him, Chris is such a, great compassionate dude you know and, yep. and and bringing james reese to life and sitting in that moment that was a moment that was a moment <sighs> that him and i sitting there you know that i mean the first take we did dave i don't know if you remember but you know i look over and he's just got tears streaming tears. on his face yeah i mean you, you know and and people really- people people might not know that was the first day of filming yep. on the terminal list Sure was. The very first day. Yep. We threw Jared and Chris and Constance right into the fire. Yeah. With a massively important moment. Yeah. 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 That was uh that was kind of a sink or swim moment on that one yeah. for, for me, you know, jumping in there. But it was I that was one that unfortunately, like I said, I kind of had experience yeah. with. So yeah. you know, people talk about as actors, you take those experiences, those life experiences, and you bring them bring them with you and you're able to use those. And it's true, you know, but that scene, Jack was, we knew we had to nail that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And we knew it, we, we, you can't fake that, you know? And, and so right. I had to go to my places that I had to go to and he went to the places that he went to. And man, I think there's something special there. There's a chemistry oh, yeah. there, you know, there's a, uh, it just, that was a powerful moment watching it back, you know, when we're in the premiere and you, you see the whole thing and you're like, wow, watching the big screen, you know, but it's powerful to see it, but it was powerful on the day doing it as well. Man. And you mentioned the big screen, like people should watch this, not on a phone, not on an iPad, not on a computer, not on a small screen, like the biggest screen you can possibly watch it on. Cause it's a different experience and it's a, uh, hey man, it's awesome on a big screen. Yeah. Really cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you guys have that bar scene and I'm thinking when I watch that director's cut, I'm like, we cannot lose one second of this. This is so amazing and it is so powerful and it is beautiful. And, uh, one second cannot be shaved off this. And of course we shaved off like, you know, more than half, but, uh, but, but it moves the story forward. Each one of these things, that's so important to have everything that we do. I think when I'm writing a, when I'm writing a story, uh, in, in novel form, it has to, everything has to move be connected to a theme and move the story, move the characters forward. You can't stall it. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, you distilled this down to the essential elements and, uh, and then the story continues on and you get this coming home piece. And to me, that was the coming, coming home piece was so important, uh, just because we've all done it. We've all been overseas doing those six months overseas, hitting those targets each and every night. And then it's time to turn over. The next platoon comes in, you do that high five. You have maybe a week, two weeks, possibly uh, to do some ops together. And then you get on a plane and before they had a little decompression stop that they, they added, which just turned into a uh, like drinking fest. um, You would be home like within 36 hours, you know, you'd go, you'd fly to like, you know, Germany or Spain and uh, the crew would get some crew rest or they'd switch out or whatever. And then you'd fly home. And if you're on the East coast, you're there in like 36 hours. Uh, so from kicking the door in Baghdad one night to then coming home and have your wife saying, would you change that diaper in there? The, 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 wow. the person's here to fix the, the thing, sink or whatever. And you're like, uh, yeah, okay. Um, huh? Yeah. Um, but you're still over there. Uh, you know, yeah. you're still thinking about those guys. You still like, in many cases, you want to be back in the fight because that's your job and that's what you came in to do. Uh, yeah. and then you're not there, even though you just did your six months and you did it the best you could. Uh, there are other people there now and you know that that's their job now, but you want to be there. And so, uh, we wanted to capture that. I wanted to make sure we, we captured that. And I, you know, in the book, I put in a, a flashback to another coming home scene is how I dealt with it yep. in, in the yep. book. And that's an actual coming home memory of mine, um, yep. that I just put in a, in a, into a fictional narrative. Um, but the way that, uh, David, that you captured that in the script and then the way that Antoine filmed it with the shadows and the Ooh. light and Chris yeah. coming home and just like door closing and then all of it, like all, I cannot imagine that scene being filmed any differently. It is so perfect and catch captures those elements. You know, we talk about these moments of discovery that happen on set. And I think, you know, Jack, when we were working and, and collaborating on the script, we talked a lot about like this false sense of equilibrium, mm-hmm. right? Like, can you, you're, you're trying to find equilibrium, but, but something's pulling you back. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, and so that was very much in the dialogue and, and in the dynamic of the scene. And then I think it was Antoine and Chris discovered that moment with the, with the hot plate. Yeah. That right there. And, and it was like, it. boom. It's yeah, awesome. I love that. The second I saw it, yeah. I'm like, that's it. Like he's over there making his coffee, you know, the toaster he's yeah. doing, his mind is somewhere else. Yeah. And that is yeah. how it eyes. is. You can see it yeah. in the eyes and that's how it is in real life. And then you walk over and grabs the thing and the, I mean, it's, Fantastic. Yeah. Then the call comes about Boozer. Bam, he's thrown into this again. Has that other tragedy. Um, and I, I love that scene. We get introduced to the, uh, we see the Land Cruiser and uh, yes. obviously an important part of the, uh, for me, because all these so big are character development tools. So cool. for me, every single yeah. piece of gear doesn't matter. It helps develop that character to include yep. the vehicles. Um, so he's a Land Cruiser guy, as I happen to be as well. Uh, and this, and the car just got here from the set yesterday. Do you happen to have that Land Cruiser? 
It arrived yesterday. I have my real, my personal one. And then from the set, it arrived yesterday. It's awesome. I'm like so, so cool. fired up. Wow, it's right man. outside. Uh, George, George so, hooked man. you up. George Sack, he's an incredible he transpo coordinator. Yeah. He hooked you up. I was texting him and uh, thanking him yesterday. And he's what a great guy. But uh, so then we have this boozer scene uh, where, where Reese gets hit again. And uh, then his world is just falling apart and yeah. uh he's warcom we have that in there we have the funerals in there and i remember the funerals that's uh there's a lot of discussion about about the funerals and how to yeah. how to handle that um yeah and how to show that uh yep. and a lot of iterations of the of the script um but uh man i think all of that just plays so well into the things that we have all experienced coming home, the loss of our buddies, um, honoring our buddies, um, conflicting emotions, all these different things get captured in here. And uh, how did the, the funeral scenes, how did those evolve over time, Dave, from the beginning to, to where we ended up? Well, I think, I think they, they became more and more of a montage as we worked on it. Um, we knew kind of, we could tell the story um, visually, we didn't need a ton of dialogue in those scenes, but there is something interesting kind of in this through line of these scenes. You just um, walked us through in this episode from the bar mm -hmm. to the coming home to those funerals. And it's this notion of um, brotherhood, long live the brotherhood. Um, Boozer actually mentions, you know, that in his toast, right? Mm -hmm. That's the toast. And then it carries across into as Reese enters his house haunted by the loss of that brotherhood and then into the funerals, which is feeling and honoring that loss. But then what's also interesting is each of those scenes, you're introducing Constance, who is Katie, Riley Keough as Lauren and Arla Mertz as Lucy yeah. and Jean Triplehorn as Hartley, right? And these are like the women of the terminal list mm -hmm. and they are just as strong as the men, just as yeah. strong in their convictions. Right. Which is awesome to watch like that, um, that homecoming and that moment in the hallway mm -hmm. and where, where Riley mm -hmm. takes Chris's face and she's crying. I mean, she's that's so goosebumps. Good. God, Unreal. She's so good. And then in that moment with Gene uh, pulling Reese aside after the funerals mm -hmm. and the kind of strength and control, but also there's a little maternal aspect to Gene that's fascinating, mm -hmm. right? She's a little softer than the Hartley from, from the book, mm -hmm. right? She's got that innate strength, but she's got this quality of, of connecting with them that is, you know, puts you on your heels immediately which is great. And so that run, it's so, so crucial, so crucial to everything that we did in this. Uh, I, I, I absolutely, that's like part of it. We talk about the first 15 minutes in the last 15 minutes, but the yeah. middle 15 minutes is dominated by that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, it was important. It was natural for me to write strong female characters in the novel. Um, and now looking back on it, I think, Oh, I'm so glad I did. Um, because when I first walked into Simon and Schuster building, I was walking around, I'm like, Oh, there are a lot of females in this building. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I think that helped, but as I write it, 
I'm just doing that naturally because I have strong female role models in my life uh, from my mom, my grandmother, my great grandmother, uh, all three of them. My great grandmother was born in the late 1800s. So she was through World War One, the Depression, World War Two, like all of that. She saw the first like car, plane, uh, space shuttle launch, man on the moon, you know, like she saw that all of that, but that depression era for her and then my grandmother, uh, and then how that influenced my mom and how strong all of them were. Um, it's just, it was just very natural for me to write strong female characters to include my wife at the, I mean, like that was just natural. It wasn't something I thought about consciously. It was just natural. Um, and though, so, so that is how it got translated onto the screen with these characters. Uh, and man, I wanted, as I'm watching this, I'm like, I want more Riley Keough. You know, I want, I've, I want, oh, you know, incredible. and I think yeah. that's great because that makes you, yep. uh, you know, like, oh, I'm done with this character. No, yep. you want more of them. Um, which I think yep. is a really cool, fascinating element to, to film and, and, and television. But, uh, then we get to the fight scene. You know, we got, we got a fight scene coming up and we have a decision to make early on in this process. Um, and that is, Hey, do we, you know, we're we're grounding this thing in authenticity, but there's some other films out there that are doing some amazing things, essentially ballet and fight scenes. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's, that's very popular. Uh, and we have to decide, you know, Hey, are we going that route? Um, or are we doing this the way that would happen if someone you were to walk outside and get tackled by somebody or, or just surprised by somebody and you have this this fight instinct to defend your life, your family's lives? Um, and of course, we went with the with the latter. Um, so how did that fight scene develop? And Jared, you're there on set for that uh, that fight scene. Um, and what, so what is that like working with Chris on that uh, on that fight scene to make it so primal and visceral? And it really stood out to people in the premiere. People came up to me afterward and said that fight scene. I've never seen anything like it. Yep. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's one of those things, like you said, where, where we had a, a choice to make, but I, I don't think it was, it, it didn't take any of us very long to all be on the same page with it. Like, nope. like you said, like anybody that's been in a street fight, any kind of, you, you know, really fight in general understands it's not like movies where it's pretty and everything just flows. It's a dog fight. I mean, you're in it and you, you, you know, in this scene, this fight scene and all of them really, but this one, he's in a fight for his life and it ain't pretty, you know, when you're in, when you're going hand to hand like that, it's nasty. And so that's what we wanted to capture, you know, and Chris loved the idea. He was all for it. Chris's stunt double, Chris Romrell, total stunt, you know, that, yeah, just helped. I mean, develop these fights, build them out. He understood from day one, our vision as well, you know, which was huge. He understood like, these fights, this action is going to be raw, gritty stuff. He knew it <clears throat> and he nailed it. You know, Chris did a lot of his own stuff. Pratt did, Pratt did a lot of his own stuff, but Romero would jump in there and, and understood it, you know. And um, Dave, of course, you were on board 100%, like, hey, let's make it look like what it would look like, you know. And then we have we had Jeff Dashnall for that part Dash. as well, who, yeah, you know, incredible. Dash is a legend in the business. And yeah. he was, he understood it. He got it. He pushed for that. And so on the day, man, it was, we had our, our beats, our moments that we were going to hit, you know, and, and, but we just kind of let it go, let it, let it happen. And man, what people can judge for themselves. But I, once again, I think, I think we, we found kind of the sweet spot on that. Oh yeah. And you get the Hitchcockian element there with the, with the pistol. And once again, Antoine capturing that lighting and everything else and Chris and his eyes and, and all that. But you know what? We didn't talk about an important element of this first episode. Taylor Kitsch as Ben Edwards. And when Ben gets introduced at the airport and gets out of that 
that vehicle and those, they embrace, I mean, like they had this connection, like this real connection that we'd have in the teams. I mean, uh, Chris Taylor and Jared as boozer, like, I mean, this is like, this is a seal team. This is a brotherhood. Um, and, uh, Taylor crushes it. And that the conversation that they have yeah. in the car yeah, it. and then the boat, uh, he's on the boat. Uh, and, uh, I mean, and I love, I mean, I had to figure out a way in the book, like how does, how does James Reese figure out that there's some sort of conspiracy going on here? What's the, like, what's the evidence other than the gut yeah. feeling? And uh, I was like, going back to my roots caliber. And yeah. it's a, it, and I haven't seen anyone, I haven't seen that done before. Um, but, uh, his buddy would not have taken his own life with a with nine mil. Gun. No one would know that unless yeah. you're part of that brotherhood. Um, and, uh, and so, so yeah, so we have the SIG nine mil two, two, six, which has been on the, the side of every seal, uh, going into combat from, from nine 11 onward. Um, so we have that, we have that pistol, we have that round and that's that one thing. And I love when, um, uh, Chris is talking to the Jag as they're walking out and asks about that, cause of death, SIG nine millimeter team pistol. No, but it was a team gift. And then that really starts everything. He knows, he knows at that point that there's something. That was a thread. He started pulling that thread at that point. That is it. I love Taylor on the boat. And that comes of course into play later at the very end. Um, but, uh, but Taylor crushes this role. I can't imagine anybody else. Absolutely crushes it. Yeah. Um, so then we have this fight scene. Jack, Jack, real quick. I mean, I thought one of the things that was really interesting and important to, to capture because you have it on the, on the page is that um, Reese and Ben are, are, are opposites. They mm-hmm. come from two very different worlds, yeah. but they have such a, a genuine connection. Yeah. And um, is that something common, you know, in the teams? We haven't talked about that a lot. Yeah, but, no, we haven't. Yeah, we haven't. So I wanted to show the difference to someone who is new to the world, kind of the difference between, let's say, the uh, the officer and enlisted ranks without talking yeah. about it. I wanted to visually yes, show cool. that. And I wanted to visually yep. show it on the written page as well uh, yeah. through tattoos down, down sleeves, down the arms, you know, the whole the, the, the whole thing. And it's not, you know, it's uh, it's not every single officer and every single yeah enlisted. Um, but I needed to differentiate those two characters. Otherwise with their backgrounds being very similar, there would be very few things that would differentiate those two at a base element type of a type of a level. Um, so I wanted to show that size difference in the book. Um, you know, and we had that also happened to have that with, with Ben and Chris at that, at the same time, uh, show that visually through tattoos, um, a little bit different, uh, career path wise. Um, so showing that really visually so that you don't have like, which one is who, who these guys are pretty much the same. You know, you can't have, you can't have that in a book and you can't have that in a, in a series. So, uh, it was really, I wanted to capture that in a, uh, in a way that was, was cool to people who have worn the uniform. And then also for people who are new to it, whether it's reading the book or visually seeing that on the screen and, oh man, Ben Edwards played by Taylor Kitsch. Like, Ooh, yeah, th- nobody better. It just gets better. Yeah. It just gets better. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And, uh, man, we had that fight scene and then bam, Reese is in that car. He's in that land cruiser and he is flying home Ooh. and, uh, yeah. the world is starting to, to fall apart yet again for the third time in this, uh, in this opening episode. And I remember at the beginning, we had a little, little bit of a different ending. We had, uh, yeah. in that first script, we had a tiny bit different ending. Uh, and yep. I, I think, I mean, and then I remember when you sent me the uh this one that we have now yeah, yeah. And i was like oh man that's such a bummer 
<laughs> yeah. I'd already got I used it in my head oh, this, oh, other, this other way, yeah. you know, that we were going to end it. And I already had that in my mind. And I was like, I was like, oh man, this is such a bummer. How are we going to do oh, that? I and then I that. saw it. Oh yeah. my, I mean, and Chris oh, Antoine had a vision, dude. I, I mean, Antoine had a vision yeah. and then Chris had a vision with the mm. music. And I remember he FaceTimed me Ruth in Barrett. December of 20. Yeah, Ruth Barrett, she composer. does an amazing job. So cool yeah. to meet her. Um, but Chris FaceTimes me out of the blue in December of 2020. So before you guys go to, uh, to Australia for Thor, uh, yeah. and he's like, quick, get on your computer. Are you near a computer? I'm like, yeah, I'm near a computer. And uh, so I jumped on and he's like, put this in YouTube. And I jumped on and then he's like, look at this thing. And it's this crazy instrument that like takes up a room, you know? <laughs> the Yeah. Yes. Uh, he's like, what do you think of this? You know? And uh, I'm like, the I think phrase of <laughs> I think it's awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I think that's perfect. Um, and yeah. then, so you have this like haunting music that I really haven't, you know, heard in the way that it's done. Uh, yeah. And Chris is going to, home. To, to be clear, we did not ultimately use the Yebahar. Oh, it's Yebahar. It sounds like it. Exactly. Oh, I was under the impression that it was. Oh, it's the inspiration. Okay. It's inspiration that there's only one person in the world who plays that instrument and it's very hard to get them. And so, yeah, we just Ruth Barrett and her husband, Ruskin, who's uh, a music engineer. uh, They work together. They did. uh, If anybody saw the awesome conspiracy thriller uh, bodyguard, BBC bodyguard, they did the music for that. And, uh, we knew we had to have him for this and yeah, it's oh, really so the inspiration. The so the whole time it was such yeah. an inspiration that I thought it was yeah. the actual thing for the last they two years. Like, nope. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. But it, no, they, it they captured created. that, that haunting like, like yeah. it's just so unique. Yep. So they really yep. captured that, that feeling then behind what Chris wanted back then on that call. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. No, I think and that's how it ends, you know, like with a sound that people haven't heard before with this merging of Chris's anguish and the music coming together. It's a powerful way to end. And we had to fight for it. Remember that guys, we had to fight for that ending. And I appreciate our partners because not a lot of shows will end the first episode with something that brutal. And uh, I appreciate our partners um, at Amazon and MRC committing to this. Cause I think you said Jack early on, you said no holds barred. Yeah. Let's go for it. That's the way I write the novels. And I knew it had to be the same, the same here. And uh, I'm almost, you almost don't want to say it. Like you're almost like surprised that Amazon came down on our side on all these things. Yeah. They're taking risks and they're taking Big huge time. risks. Uh, they Big could be very time. safe. They could have been very yep. safe with this and it would have been fine. Um, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have had heart. It wouldn't yep. have had heart. Um, yep. so for them to commit to it the way they did and, you know, even being a little nervous at a couple points, um, but yep. to come down the way they did, I mean, I can't, I not real thank them enough. That's, uh, exactly. to trust us without a doubt. Yeah, and the way that partners. theater, the way the theater felt when we watched the premiere and we saw, you know, the last three minutes of, of the episode, you know, like it ends and then it's just like, oh, like all the air went out of the room for a second. But it like in a good way, people were just taken aback. People were blown away. Yeah. We've seen it a hundred times and yeah. I was blown away. Like it still hit me all over again. I mean, I'm glad I had a little bit of time to the lights stay down, you know, yeah. nobody saw it. Like, am I tearing, am I tearing up right now when I've seen yeah. this? How, yeah. However many times I've seen it. Powerful, powerful. Man. And, uh, this team did it. This team yeah. made it happen. Such a, such a team effort. And, uh, I love this. And, and as we, you know, wrap up this uh, yeah. episode one discussion, I, what I love is we've talked about all the members of the team. I mean, not all, but we're helping people see, 
how much goes in Absolutely. to any great piece of work up on screen. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's been, it's, it's remarkable actually. And, sure. uh, I love this, man. This is great. Yeah, no, and before we go, um, for those, uh, uh, the music, uh, people out there, where do we get uh, a little bad company and simple man? Where do we get, uh, where do those come from? Jared oh. Shaw, Jared Shaw, <laughs> Jared yeah, Shaw. Yeah. So, um, bad company, which once again, Dave, I appreciate you be, being willing to willing to listen and take it bad company was, you know, there's guys that I did two, two platoons with, that was a big song for us. So those guys are going to hear that song and they're going to catch it. That was one that we'd listened to before we went out the door. And Jack, you know what that's like. You have your, your music you listen to before, before you roll, you know? And so we get, we do our brief, all that guys would be jocking up and that would be a song that we were listening to. And so Dave fought to get that one in there and Antoine fought to yep. get that one in there, you know, which was a, a big one, huge one, you know, cause yep. I know that I know the people that are, that will hear that and they'll be like, ah, well done terminal list. Like you guys, you guys did well on that one, you know? Nice. And then the other one, um, what, what was the other one? I'm blanking on. It's simple a, man. Shine down. Down. Oh yeah. Shine down cover. Yeah. So, simple man. so, uh, little, uh, little secret on that one. That is, that is the song that I, had set up to be played if I would have been killed overseas and not to make oh, it dark wow. or sad or anything, but yeah, like that one, that one was, that is a heavy song. And to tie it in, you know, when we see Ben coming up to pick James up, we know what Ben is wrestling with, yeah. right? We know, yeah. we know the secrets. Yeah. He, he, you don't find out till later. I should say Ben knows the secrets that Ben is, is Mm -hmm. struggling with, you know? And so that song is playing as he's coming up there. Now the audience won't know till the end of the season. It's all kind of, that song is to tie in basically once it's all said and done, people are going to go back and they're going to be like, Oh, okay. I see why that song was chosen. Cause that song's heavy. And if you listen to the lyrics, go into the lyrics and listen to the exact words, people will really understand why that song was chosen. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thought Crazy. went into that one. All man. of it. Thought went all into all of it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. God. Well, thank you guys for doing this. And uh, obviously, thank you for the last couple of years. I hope we're going to continue forward here with a with a season two. We shall see about Chris's schedule and Amazon's checkbook. But, uh, you know, man, we, we got to do it. But, uh, man, what a great team. Thank you guys. This could not have been in better hands. And then thank you for taking the time to do this. I'm so glad we did it. I learned things that I had, I didn't know uh, about, about the terminal list over the last couple of years. So man, that is incredible. And uh, for everybody else that's listening, uh, thank you for tuning in to the terminal list podcast. Uh, thank you to Kansas city cattle company for sponsoring this and uh, man, ironclad original, man, this was awesome. Mm-hmm.